0: Today's scripture comes from Matthew 21, 1 to 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Beth Page, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. You may be seated.
1: All right, as you're seated, let me pray. Father, would you... Be so gracious to us that you'd pour out your spirit upon us, that we might have our eyes opened to see your glory, that we might have our ears opened to hear the truth, and that we might have our hearts opened to believe the good news of the gospel. Would you remind us of the finished work of Jesus in our place and how your love is evidenced for us by the way you sent your son? Bring to remembrance all those times, God, that we know of your faithfulness, And for those who don't yet know of your faithfulness, God, I pray that you would show them who you are. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we are celebrating what the church has historically called Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday marks the beginning of what is often called Passion Week or Holy Week in Christian tradition. It moves through Palm Sunday then into Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, into what's called Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and then, of course, Easter Sunday, which we will celebrate next week. Now, we don't get too crazy about arguing the exact chronology of the final week of Jesus' life, but if you did want to look from this text in Matthew 21, verses 1 to 11, and then you want to continue on through to Matthew 28, it would give you a very good picture of what the last week of his life looked like. If you want to read a more substantial account of that, you could go to the Gospel of John, where Palm Sunday actually happens in John chapter 12. And the rest of the book of John is just basically laying out the last week of Jesus' life. So the gospel of John is 50% the last week of Jesus' life. And so you could have a look at it in those places as well. But basically, Palm Sunday is the day, before, or the day that we celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. This is one week before his resurrection. And as I said, start in this text and then keep going if you want to look at the rest of Holy Week. Holy Monday has traditionally been remembered as the day that Jesus cleansed the temple. He goes and curses a fig tree, which is a fantastic story if you know some of the gospel accounts. It's also the day where there were some children in the temple and they see Jesus and they begin to shout to him and about him. They begin to cry out, Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest! And religious leaders didn't like that. We'll talk about that in a few moments. Holy Tuesday is where Jesus was challenged by some of the religious leaders on a number of different topics. And it's actually where he goes out in, into what we call the Olivet Discourse or the Discourse on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus goes out and he teaches a little more substantially on those topics that he was being challenged on. Holy Wednesday is the day where there was a woman who brought an alabaster flask of very expensive perfumed oil. And she came to dinner where Jesus was and she poured it out on him. And they said this is a prophetic sign that he was being anointed for his burial. So if that ever happens to you at a dinner party, that's not good. (laughs) Okay. Back in the day, they didn't have the certain embalming realities we have now for if somebody died and they would perfume the body. And she came to him two days before he died upon the cross and poured this oil on him as a prophetic sign. The fact that he had indeed come into Jerusalem to go to the cross to his death. Maundy Thursday is celebrated, uh, really highlighting two things. Uh, The Last Supper, when Jesus got around the table with his disciples. And when Jesus stepped out from the table at the Last Supper, took off his outer garments, put on the servant's towel, knelt down and washed all the disciples' feet. It's called Maundy Thursday. Maundy is a Latin word that actually means command. And the reason we call it Maundy Thursday is it was at that last supper when Jesus took off his outer garments and put on the servant's robe and washed his disciples' feet. And when he finished, he said, now you do likewise. It was his command that they love and serve one another. And then Good Friday comes. Now, Good Friday is not called good because of what the political and religious leaders did in putting Jesus to death. Good Friday is called good. Because of what the death of Jesus Christ accomplishes on our behalf. It says in 1 Peter 3.18, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And so Jesus dies in our place and for our sins upon the cross. We talk about that reality on a weekly basis here. And on Friday, we will look at the reality that Jesus, when he was upon the cross, quotes Psalm 22. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we will celebrate that and remember that on Good Friday as we gather together at the Stanley Theater. We will come to the conclusion that Christ cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We'll come to the conclusion that Christ was forsaken so that we never would be. And then comes Holy Saturday or called Black Saturday. This is the day between Good Friday when Jesus was crucified and Easter Sunday when Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Holy Saturday is a dark day. The church around the world can remember on Holy Saturday or Black Saturday the significance of what it would mean if Christ remained in the tomb. We can remember what it was like. We can remember the anguish of not knowing that he was risen. That the next day he would not be there that they would go to the tomb and they would say he is not here he has risen and then of course we will celebrate easter sunday so palm sunday sets in motion passion week or holy week as jesus enters into jerusalem to shouts of joy from some parts of the crowd and then questions as to who he is from other parts of the crowd Um, this is what it says in luke's gospel Verse uh, chapter 19, verse 37 says the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees, the religious leaders in the crowd, they said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered them, if I, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Jesus shows up and people begin to cry out, Hosanna. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. The disciples are there and they're crying out praises of God. And, And the religious leaders say to Jesus, Hey Jesus, that kind of language is only reserved for the Messiah. You need to silence your people. And Jesus says, Oh, if these disciples didn't cry out, these stones would cry out who I am. Up until this point in Jesus' ministry, he'd actually been pretty low-key with the whole king thing. In fact, there are times in the Gospels when you read through where something miraculous happens or somebody really starts to begin to see who Jesus Christ really is, who he is, that he is Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior who was to come. And and he kind of goes to them and he goes, hey, shh, don't talk about that yet. We're not quite there yet. He says, don't tell them what you've seen. There's times where he keeps the king thing on the lowdown. But the people here begin to cry out with this declaration Uh, the thing that happens on what we call palm sunday the triumphal entry of jesus into jerusalem where the crowd were laying down their cloaks in front of him where the palm branches were being laid down on the road as jesus entered into the city something happened that begins a shift in the ministry of jesus where he is not silencing people for acknowledging his kingship but where he now begins to allow them to proclaim the truth of who he is and so the people begin to cry out with this declaration that jesus is the messiah That he is the savior, that he is the king of kings and lord of lords, that he is the king of Israel who was expected. He is the one that they have been waiting for. He is the one that all the prophets spoke of. He is the one who has come to overthrow all of the oppression, all of the enemies. He is the one who is coming to establish his kingdom, the kingdom of eternal peace. And they saw it and they knew who he was and they began to proclaim with loud voices. They said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. See, Palm Sunday is a shift in the ministry of Jesus. Palm Sunday is the beginning of the week that changes the world. It's Jesus opening a door that just simply cannot be shut. After this, nothing ever could be the same. It's his entrance into Jerusalem. He's going to teach. He's going to share a meal with his disciples. He is going to be betrayed. He is going to be crushed with the weight of the task at hand when he is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he is down on his knees speaking to his father and he begins to sweat drops of blood. He will be falsely tried. He will be condemned. He will be flogged and beaten. His bloodied back will be saddled with the weight of a cross as he is marched outside of the city to the hill of Golgotha where Roman soldiers will take six or seven inch spikes and put them through his wrists and his ankles, his feet. When he's affixed to the cross, where the cross is stood up and it drops into the hole in the ground, jarring his whole body, And where he dies. In a sense, everything that Jesus had done in his life up until that point had led him to that very moment where he puts into motion something that cannot be stopped, where he rides into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. This is an irreversible moment that changes the history of the world. And that's what we celebrate on Palm Sunday. He says, if these disciples didn't praise me, These rocks would cry out. Matthew 21 verse 9 says, Hosanna. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus says these rocks would praise me, that's what they would say if the disciples didn't cry out the truth of who he was. This is the cry of those who were with him on Palm Sunday as he rides into the city in royal fashion. And so here's how we'll look at the rest of the text this morning. We're going to look at a different kind of king The cry of our hearts and how holy week reshapes us. We're going to see that Jesus is a different kind of king. We need to acknowledge the cry of our hearts and how holy week and all the events contained therein shape who we are as followers of Jesus. Matthew 21 verses 1 to 5. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the village in front of me, in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt the foal of a beast of burden so why do i say that jesus is a different kind of king But it says that this took place this the, hey disciples go find me a donkey mission that that took place to fulfill what the prophet had spoken now, if you've got a great memory, or you know the Old Testament inside and out, or you're you know really focused on the proto apocalyptic genre of Old Testament prophetic literature, you would know that this comes from Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine. I doubt any of us are that, so that's okay. Let me read it for you. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This passage of scripture might not mean that much to us on first glance, but to the people who were there when Jesus was riding into the city, this was part of their cultural memory. This was part of their religious upbringing. This was part of their discipleship. They were taught to be on the lookout for the Messiah and Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine says, this is how the Messiah is going to arrive. This is what it's going to look like when the Savior comes. And so when they see this happening, it just all of a sudden lights up all of their cultural memory. But why a donkey, you ask? That is a fair question. Why not a horse, which would be much more majestic and grandeur? I agree. I agree. But there's some deep significance to why he rode into the city on a donkey. Now, we don't know that much about donkeys in Vancouver in 2019, I would say that there are many of you who've probably never seen a donkey in the flesh. So let me give you three reasons why Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And let me tell you that I'm sparing you all of the very nerdy research I did on the significance of the donkey in the ancient Near East as it relates to kings. So I'm going to share just the Coles Notes version of that. The first reason that it matters that he rode in on a donkey and not a horse is that he was meticulously fulfilling prophecy. Zechariah nine points to this. It says that Jesus, riding in in this way, is signaling something that he had not previously signaled a whole bunch in his ministry. When he publicly rides in, this is what he's saying. I'm here. Your king is here. Quietly subdued in humility... He rides in on a donkey, signaling that he has arrived. He comes into the city fulfilling prophecy and openly declaring, I am the one that you've been waiting for. The second reason he rides in on a donkey, Jesus' people were, uh, the people all around in Jesus' generation were not only formed by the prophetic portions of the Old Testament story, they were also informed by the historical nature of the Old Testament, and they knew the history of the kings. They knew the history of the kings of Israel. It says in 1 Kings 1, Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaniah the son of Joadiah, which sounds like the opening of a joke, right? <laughs> a priest, a prophet, and a guy whose dad named him Benaniah because he hated his name Jehoadiah. And the Chestrites and the Pelissites went down and had Solomon, notice, Solomon ride on King David's mule and brought him to Gihon. There Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the tent and anointed Solomon. Then they blew the trumpet, and all the people said, Long live King Solomon! And all the people went up after him playing on the pipes and rejoicing with great joy so that the earth was split by their noise. See, what's happening is a transference of power from David to his son who was the heir to the throne, Solomon. They all know this story. This is one of the most important stories in the history of Israel. That David died and one of his lineage sits on the throne. And so They bring Solomon in riding on a donkey, his father's donkey. And there he is anointed king. Significant cultural memory for these people. Third, in the world of the ancient Near East, leaders rode horses when they went to the war, but they rode donkeys if they came in peace. You show up on a horse, people get real antsy if you're the king. You show up on a donkey, that says something different. That's why I think Jesus is a different kind of king. Think about it. Solomon was going to be the next king following David, and there was a peaceful transition of power. There was no war. It was well understood that David was the king and that Solomon would be the next king. If you're a king in peacetime, you can ride around on a donkey all you want. But that's not how a king arrives in a city who recognizes that that city does not recognize your authority as king, which is exactly why Jesus was put to death five days later. Jesus rides into a hostile territory where he is not being acknowledged as king, but he comes in peace, not on a horse. That's different. If you want to come and declare yourself king or ruler in a new city or a new nation today, what you would do is you would uh, talk to the military industrial complex that is involved in your country and you would start firing missiles from drones so that none of your people get hurt just on the other end and you would absolutely decimate all of the facilities and the power structures and things that are keeping the infrastructure of the city or nation that you're bombing and you you would do that, you would pummel them. You'd shoot missiles off of ships. And you'd shoot missiles off of planes and drones. And then once that city or nation was sufficiently beaten down, you would roll in with tanks. And then you'd roll in with Humvees. And then you'd roll in with personnel carriers. And you'd put boots on the ground. And those boots on the ground would suppress any uprisings or any resistance that were going on. And eventually what you end up seeing is you've got the leader of that army standing there in front of the palace with a big cheesy grin, smiling as the soldier puts up the new flag. That's how you'd ride in today if you were coming in to present yourself as the conqueror of that territory. If you were doing that in Jesus' day, you'd ride in on a horse. So here's Jesus arriving in the manner of a king who is currently ruling and reigning in peace. This is how kings who were already ruling their territory or who were seeing somebody neighboring, uh, in, a, in a neighboring state... This is how you would arrive if you were coming in peace. But this city is so hostile to Jesus and his message that they're about to execute him. Yet he still arrives in peace on the back of the donkey. Jesus knows he is entering into the battle of all battles and that this will be an irreversible moment that changes the history of the world. This is what it says. The prophecy in Zechariah 9, 9 says, behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey. Jesus knows what's going on. So arriving in the city in this way. Does not make sense unless you're a radically different kind of king. Later on, Jesus is being questioned by Pilate, who was the governing authority who sentenced Jesus to death. He asks him, Pilate asks Jesus, he says, are you the king of the Jews? Because that was the accusation being made of Jesus, that he claimed to be the king of the Jews. John 18, 36, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. See, Jesus is a different kind of king. He's not the kind of king that they expected. He's the kind of king who was promised. And he's the king they needed. His kingdom's not of this world. Tim Keller paraphrasing Jesus, when he talks about the subversive nature of his kingdom, says, Jesus is saying, my kingdom is not of this world. It's completely different. This is how I'm going to change things. I'm going to put others ahead of myself. I'm going to love my enemies. I'm going to serve and sacrifice for others. I'm not going to repay evil with evil. I'm going to overcome evil with good. I will give up my power, my life. Weakness, poverty, suffering, and rejection will now be at the top of the list. My revolution comes without the sword. It is the first true revolution. He's a different kind of king. But secondly, we need to consider the cry of our hearts. Matthew 21, verses 6 through 9. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, Hosanna is a word that outside of the Bible and outside of this room on a Sunday morning, you don't use. For thousands of years now, Christians have been singing and praying and crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And here's what I think. I think most of them have no clue what it means. That's okay, though. Do you ever sing songs that we have the words on the screen on Sunday? You're singing along and you're like, I don't know what that means, but I get the feel of it. This feels like a good thing. Hosanna. I remember when I first became a Christian, not like some of you who grew up in the church, being immersed in the culture of all of these words. I came to Christ as an adult. And so what that meant was I showed up on a Sunday at a church that was not particularly good at explaining what different words meant. They just assumed you knew everything. And I I was like, I don't, this is like a second language. It's all these weird church words. And what I started to do is just make a list of words that I had no clue what they meant when they said them. And then I go home and define them because I wanted to be a super Christian, you know? (laughs) Hosanna is one of those words. We use these words all the time but we don't necessarily know the meaning or the origin of the word. And so what does Hosanna mean? Well, thanks for asking. I'll show you. This is where it comes from. Psalm 118. Psalm 118. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And you say, well, there's no Hosanna there. What are you talking about? Verse 25 says, save us, we pray, O Lord. This is... The part of the psalm that they cry out as Jesus enters into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey with cloaks and palm fronds being laid in front of him as he rides into the city. Save us, we pray, O Lord, in Hebrew. Hosiana. Hosiana. Here's what happened. They wrote, Uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament for people who lived in this part of the world in that time where Greek was commonly being spoken. And what they did is they didn't really have a word to translate it to, so they got lazy, and they're like, okay, it says Hosiana. How about Hosanna? And then when we translated it from Greek into English, Greek New Testament into English, we got really, really lazy, and we were like, we'll just go with Hosanna. That's what we'll do. So Hosanna comes from Psalm 118. Save us, O Lord, we pray. Hosiana in Hebrew. Originally, this was a cry for help. It was a cry of desperation. But over time, what happened is it became a cry of expectant joy. It became a cry of expectant salvation. It was a cry for salvation that becomes a recognition that Jesus is able to save. So it moves from save us, we pray, from peril and destruction and things. To you will save us. Do you see that it shifts from save us we pray to you will save us. So they're not crying out save us on the road as Jesus is riding in on the donkey. They're crying out we're saved. (laughs) That's what Hosanna means for us who see Jesus as he is. The king has come we're saved. Moves the song in their heart from a place of saying save us to look the savior. That's Hosanna. Because Jesus is a different kind of king, it changes the cry of our hearts from save us to we're saved. From a cry of desperation to a declaration of confident hope. And this is why Holy Week reshapes us. This is why Holy Week reshapes us. Palm Sunday puts in motion events on the week that will change the whole world forever. Here's how it reshapes us. Verses 10 and 11. Look at this, Matthew 21. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Can you imagine the scene? You've got Jesus riding on a donkey with cloaks being laid out in front of him and palm fronds being laid down and a crowd of people singing, Hosanna, Hosanna. We're saved. Jesus' disciples probably following along. Peter elbows his way to the front of the line, which unbeknownst to him is right behind the donkey, right? You don't want to be the guy following a donkey in a parade. Imagine the scene. The city is full of people because this was a high holy week. And so people had come to the city because they were there to worship. And there's this guy riding through. It's this guy from Galilee. This man from Galilee riding on the back of a donkey, and all these people shouting out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And they say, Who is this? And the disciples go, Oh, this is Jesus. Watch this. And you say, oh, That's wonderful. And what does that have to do with me this morning? Think about the crowd. These are people who've come together with hopes and dreams that are springing out of these promises that they knew were in the Old Testament, like Zechariah 9-9 and a bunch of other places like Psalm 118. And their hopes were built upon the foundation of these promises that God had made to them hundreds of years earlier. But in the moment, their hopes and their dreams are personal and tangible. There's something happening. This is a crowd of people who are feeling the weight of their current struggles, and they're looking for a place to anchor their hope, just like you. We all walk in with burdens, looking for a place to establish our hope, to anchor our hope. You see crowds like this on inauguration day when a new president has been elected. You see crowds like this when people gather together to see what the election results will be, anchoring their hope on a new earthly leader. This is a crowd who have frustrations and fears, untold sorrows in their midst, and yet they're hopeful because they're waiting for a king. One who comes in a royal way. One who comes as a humble king, absent of the preposterous demands of the earthly kings that they have seen up until this point. One who arrives with no sword. One who arrives with no military force. One who arrives in hostile territory so to speak but arrives in peace coming in peace not in force see there's the Old Testament promises that are pointing to this day but then there's the reality that we need to face sitting in here this morning in 2019 that this is all ancient history for us we live on this side of the cross and this side of the resurrection but we're not like the Jewish people who were waiting for a savior king in our society. We didn't know we needed a savior, and we certainly weren't looking for a king. And even if we were looking for a king, we wouldn't have been looking for a king like Jesus. We can sense the longing in the hearts of these people who are now crying out, Hosanna. They were longing for someone who could carry their hopes. But I want you to think about this for a second. And right? we've got the promises, we've got the song, Hosanna, Hosanna. I can't sing, so I'll just say the words spare you. <laughs> we've got a different kind of king. But then we've got us as the crowd. See, Palm Sunday intersects our lives. Because we tend to forget who we are in Christ. We tend to get lost along the way. We lose the God shape of our lives, how we're formed by him we tend to forget what story we belong to we have hopes and dreams, but we get bogged down with the everyday pressures of life. And we start to forget about God. And so we forget what Jesus has done for us at times. And here's the thing. Every year, all of a sudden Palm Sunday arrives as the celebration of the week that changed the world. And all of a sudden we go, huh, I've got burdens. I've got things on my mind. I've got deadlines. I've got pressure. I've got relational difficulties. I've got all a mess of my life. But all of a sudden I go, go, he came into the city. He knew he was going to the cross. Palm Sunday and Holy Week reshapes us in the image of God. It reminds us of the story we've been grafted into and how we belong. It changes us. It reminds us that Jesus may not have been the king we were looking for, but, oh, he is the king we need. Reshapes us because his kingdom is not of this world. Jesus' kingdom has a king who comes in humility and humbles himself, it says in Philippians 2, to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that humble king is then exalted, it says in Philippians 2, super exalted, highly exalted. And he is given a name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, one day, every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the king who arrived on Palm Sunday. That's one day. He's a humble king. His kingdom is upside down when contrasted with the kingdoms of the world. It reshapes us. It brings us into this story. It shows us what life truly looks like. See, it Brings us to the place where we too need to cry out, either in desperation, save me, or in joyful expectation and longing for home, I'm saved. Hosanna. On Thursday, we need to be reminded that Jesus is the one who celebrated the Last Supper and took off his outer garments and put on the servant's towel and washed his disciples' feet and then commanded them, now go and do likewise. Love and serve one another. That's what Thursday takes us to. Friday. Friday reminds us that we needed a savior who was crucified, murdered upon the cross. He was murdered for us. But I think if we understand it truly, we understand that he was murdered by us. That he died for us. On Saturday, we need to be reminded that the futility of our lives and what it would look like if Jesus remained buried on that tomb and did not rise. And then on Sunday, we'll come in new and refreshed, reminded of the fact that he is the risen king who has conquered Satan, sin, death, hell, and the grave, who bore upon himself the wrath of God deserved for us but not only that he is the king who died in our place, atoning for our sin, making a way for us to be saved, but that he is the king who is risen. We celebrate this next Sunday, that we have new life in Christ. This is the story we belong to. There are so many counter-narratives in this world that we live in who are vying for attention, that counter-narratives that want you to come and believe that's true. And I'm just saying that Holy Week reshapes us into the image of Christ helps us to understand who we are. Palm Sunday is the beginning of the week that changed the world. Jesus rides into the city and the whole city says, who's this? And his disciples say, this is Jesus. So on Palm Sunday, we see that Jesus is a different kind of king. We see the cry of Hosanna being redefined in our lives. And then we see that Holy Week reshapes us. And it actually confronts us with the question, who is this? Who is he? So who is he to you? I can tell you who he is historically. I can read historians of that era who write about a man named Jesus who grew up in Nazareth of Galilee and had a group of people who followed him who was put to death by the Roman government. We can see him historically. I can tell you who he is biblically. I can tell you who he is. But my question is, who is he to you? That question frames this whole week. And as we celebrate Good Friday and we celebrate Easter Sunday, we are going to come to see that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that he is the king who entered into our mess. He's the king that we might not have expected, but he is the king that we need. He is the answer to the cry of our heart. He's the one who tells us who we truly are in light of who he is. And I would say this is Palm Sunday and our king has come to the city. Would you stand with me as we respond today? Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.